times before, but we're going to say it every week. If this is your first time here, I am so happy you're here. My name's Justin. I work on staff with junior high, uh, with a team of people that love junior high students and love Jesus and love serving and love doing fun stuff together. And if you don't have a Bible, we're going to be in God's Word today like we are every single week. And if you don't have one, there are Bibles right there in the corner. Feel free to get up right now and go grab a Bible because we're going to be in it today big time and I'm excited about it. So we're in the sex series, week one. And the week one of the sex series, I know, now listen, I know I'm hearing the, the, the awkwardness and the faces, but listen, I think the best way to start off this series is a story about a pig. Now listen, now listen, when I was in college, I went to the school in Missouri, it was a very small school. And I was there with a group of my friends, and it was kind of a farm town. This buddy that I had, he lived off campus. He lived with his parents, which, you know, if you have the opportunity to live with your parents when you're in college, do it because it's super cheap and fun. So I was living with my parents. He was living with his parents. I was living in the dorms. And we used to hang out a ton. We were very, very good friends. I was at his farm. I saw his cows, and his, he had horses. And, like, the cows, they bred cows for beef. So, like, they would take them and slaughter them, and then I would get a steak out of it, and it was, like, the best ever because I love steak. So I'd look at these cows and I'd say, thank you so much for your sacrifice because you're delicious. And I would name them and then I would eat the steak and I'd be like, oh, Martha, you are mm, delicious. Now I'm a screwed up person, okay? So I'm just being honest. I'm crazy. So I'm there and I'm seeing these pigs and they, they have all these livestock. And one night he calls me around 2 a.m. and he leaves me a voicemail and he's like, hey, something happened. I need you to come to my house. I really need your help. It's important. And I didn't get the voicemail uh, yet. I, my phone was buzzing on my little desk near my bed. And I finally woke up from it. I called him. And I was like, hey, I, I got your voicemail. You said something's going on. Like, what is it? Is everything okay? He said, Justin, I need you to come to the house soon. I, I need you to get into the car right away. Head over here. Something's happened. Uh, I need your help in kind of dealing with it. Now, he didn't give me many details. And I didn't know what this thing was. But I hopped in the car immediately, drove to his house. When I got there... He handed me a shovel, and I, and I was like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? What did he get me into? He got me a shovel, and he said, we got to dig a hole. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what did, you, what did you do that I need to dig a hole? We need to dig a hole big enough. It needs to be a big hole. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, what am I involved in? I'm going to go to jail for this. I am not built for jail. I am too nice. Like, I'm, I can't handle that lifestyle. What, what am I involved in right now? And he said, we need to dig a big hole with the shovel that I just gave you to bury the family pig. Now I'm thinking to myself, listen, family pig, this could have waited until morning. You didn't need to wake me up at 2 a.m. to bury the family pig. You know, this was kind of foolish. I needed my sleep. I was very tired. Kind of begrudgingly, I said okay to this. So I get the shovel and I start digging this hole and I, we, we lower, you know, we kind of roll this big pig and we have a kind of a, a lift thing and we're rolling it and it's just large and we roll it into this hole and we cover the hole and this is, it's raining at this point. So this is maybe like four hours, five hours worth of work. The sun is rising now. Uh, you know, you can see kind of the mist from, you know, the morning sun lifting off the ground, and it, I'm very tired, I'm covered in dirt, 
And part of me is thinking, like, this, this is so, there's no need for this. I was taking it very casually. I was like, oh, you know, whatever. This, and maybe you've taken things casual in your life, too. Maybe there's things in your life that you do or have interacted with, uh, something that someone has said to you or something you've been exposed to, and you'd be like, that's not really that big of a deal. That's a pretty casual thing. That's not that serious. That's just whatever. And, and you don't take it that seriously. See, I walked into the house, uh, you know, misjudging this situation. See, maybe you have misjudged situations situations in your life. See, I walked into this house misjudging the situation and kind of laughing about the fact that we just spent hours burying this big pig. Now, I walk into the living room and around the corner I see his mom and his mom is, is sitting there with a box of Kleenexes. Most of them have already been used because I can tell because the trash can's overflowing. Because she was in tears because they've had this pig in the family for a very long time. See, to her, this was very serious. See, I misjudged a situation thinking this was casual. This was not that big of a deal. See, something that is a big deal, something that is serious, sometimes it's presented to us. Or sometimes we look at that and say, that is not that serious of a thing. This is, this is, people are making more out of this than needs to be. But then you see the impact it has on someone and maybe the impact it has on you. Just like I saw the impact this pig had on his mom. And you realize that maybe what is serious to other people, even though it may not be serious to you, maybe is more serious than you give it credit for. You know, sometimes we misjudge the situation. Have there been situations in your life that you've misjudged? Have there been times in your life, have you ever been in a situation where you thought it was just casual and it ended up being very serious? You know, when I was in college, this was the same school. I was 22 at this point. And this is so crazy because, and I love girls, but girls are sometimes nuts. And I say that in such a loving way because this is, this is the deal. And you, girls, you're going to totally get with me on this because you're all normal, and, but you, some people are nuts. So I was dating this girl from Pennsylvania. Now listen up to this, boys, because you don't want to get involved in this. So I was dating this girl from Pennsylvania. We were dating for about three months. For me, we were just starting to get to know each other. We were still having fun. We were going on dates. Sometimes I would pay. Sometimes she would pay. But there was one time we were sitting in this big cafeteria. It, it, it's very school-ish. I mean, it's like the perfect school cafeteria. There's, there's bench seating, uh, and everyone kind of files in, and you go through the line, and you have your tray, and you put food on your plate, and it's never good food, of course, because cafeteria food. So we're going and sitting down, and I'm sitting across her, and she looks at me, and there were about three months of dating, and I've been really enjoying this dating relationship. I'm 22 years old in college. I have a ton of hair back then, so I'm like, I look like Toffoli. I'm just combing my hair all the time. You know, I'm just brushing it. I put gel in it and mousse in it, and I'm just, I look great, all right, just like Toffoli. She looks at me and says, now girls are crazy sometimes. Three months of dating, keep in mind, 22 years old. I'm young. This sleeve of tattoos doesn't even exist yet. That's like how, that's how young I was. And she looks at me and says, so when do you think we're going to get married? Ooh. Now, there's the thing. I was enjoying this relationship thinking, this is casual. This is fun. We're enjoying ourselves. We're having fun. She looked at it very differently. She took a situation that I misjudged, I thought was very casual, and it ended up being very serious to her. Now, this is the thing. And we're going to go right after this today. We're not going to mince words and we're not going to dumb it down. We're going to go right after it because we're in a series about sex. And I want to go after God's opinion on sex, what God has to say about sex. And sometimes, so often, we look at sex as being casual. 
and not seeming like a big deal. But, you know, this is my problem. If sex is casual, why does it always seem like a big deal? Like, when I said we were doing this series, I got a lot of emails from parents who, who had a lot of questions about this series. I had a lot of questions from staff members, not only on the junior high team, but, you know, at the church. My boss had questions about this series. You know, why are we doing this series? What is the motivation behind it? And this is the thing. When you start to ask those questions, it gives cue to me that, that this maybe is a serious topic, one that we don't talk about often enough, one that we see everywhere, but very rarely see God's view on it. And because of that, I'm not willing to go through life not looking at what God has to say about sex. See, from the very beginning of the world, God had an opinion on sex. You know, when I woke up this morning, I had a very clear opinion on how, how I was dressed. I woke up and I was like, I put my clothes on, I looked in the mirror, I'm like, I think I look great. And when you look, feel you look great, you tend to do better at your job and at work and at school. You just, if you feel you look good, you produce better. So I got new vans yesterday. I went to uh, uh, the Irvine Spectrum and bought them. They're fully black vans. I just dig them. And, and so from the very beginning of this morning, I was like, I look killer. My wife looked at me and she's like, you do look killer. And I was like, yes. My wife thinks I look good. I'm set. From the very beginning of the day, I thought I looked great in these shoes. From the very beginning of the world, God had an opinion on sex. It wasn't one he formed later. It wasn't one that he consulted other people to get their opinions on sex. He didn't hear about it in the locker room and make his opinion about that. He didn't watch his favorite TV show and see a, a cheeseburger advertisement with a girl in a bikini and decide that his opinion on sex was from that. He didn't look to media or magazines or television shows or movies. He, from the very beginning, had an opinion on sex. Now, I want to share it with you. If you open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 2, we're going to find some truth that God wants to share with us. If you don't have a Bible, there are still some over here. You can grab it and have it in your lap. And it's on page number 2. This, this is like the very beginning. I mean, you can't get more to the beginning than page 2. And this is what God's Word says in Genesis. Now, keep in mind, this, he, he is there with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, the triune God. So God in three parts, okay, all together in one. And they're there creating the world and the galaxies and the earth and the mountains and the oceans. They're creating all of this. And then they create man. Now, this is what's so cool in God's word it says. He created all these things and he looked at them and said that they were good. He created birds and animals and fish. He created land and he created, you know, separated night from day. He looked and said it was good. And then he created man and he said it is very good because he created us in his image. He didn't look for a template online. He didn't get ideas from other people of how to create people. He looked at himself and his image and said, I want man to be my image bearers on earth. I want you to look like me, and you are very good. So we pick up in the midst of this in verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock. He's talking about Adam. All the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. So let me unpack this real quick, just so we're all clear. I don't want to be mistaken on this. God created man and said it was very good. He then gave man the task 
of naming all the animals, which has to be the coolest job ever. You're like, I'll call that a hippopotamus, and I will call that an armadillo, and I will call that a toffoli. I'm really picking on toffoli today. I'm really sorry for that. So you name all these things, but then he said none of these animals or birds are suitable to be a helper and a mate for man. So I'm going to create for him someone awesome. Someone perfect, someone that is a perfect complement to who he is. Someone that he can care for, love, respect, honor. These are all words you boys should be writing down in your notes. These are important words. Love, respect, honor, care. These are the things that he wanted to create women for. Now, we see in the next verse, in verse 23, this is what it says. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She called she, call, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So this is the picture. God brings woman to man, and he said, this, this is great. This is perfect. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I'm for this. And in this, this union that God is creating from the very beginning, it is within this model that a woman and a man leaves their mother and father and they start a new life together. This is what I love about God. Number one, God is one of clarity, not of confusion. God is one of clarity, not of confusion. So this is not what God is doing. He's not saying, I want to create this marriage institution between a man and a woman, but I want to leave it really vague. I want to leave it I want to leave it up for interpretation. I want people to guess what I mean about it. No, no, no. He is one of clarity, not of confusion. Number two, God created sex. He's the one that created it. It wasn't an idea he got from someone else. He's the one. He's the author of it. Imagine being the author of, of a story or the creator of a machine or, or a robot or, you know, a creator of some cool contraption. Now imagine this. Imagine someone comes in and rips off your idea, steals your idea, takes it, mutates it, uh, can, makes it false, untrue to what the creator meant it to be. That's the world we live in right now. People have taken what God has created, sex, and they have mutated it and, and made it different, made it confusing and complicated. They make it very, uh, uh, very um, not so serious. They make it very uh, casual. Make it easy for people to misjudge. Listen, God created sex. He's the author of it. So when we go to find information about sex, we should go to the source, go to the author of it. God's the author of sex. Number three, sex was created. He created it from the beginning to be in marriage between a man and a woman. He doesn't leave room for interpretation. He doesn't leave room for, well, what if? No, no, no. He is clear from the very beginning. God is one of clarity, not confusion. So from the very beginning, he gives us this picture that I'm going to bring this man, I'm going to bring this woman, and this is what marriage, this is what sex is going to be for in this context, in this context alone, not for these other things. Number four, from the very beginning, God knew that sex is serious. Sex is extremely serious, but here's the problem. Everyone has a different opinion, a different thing to say about sex. Everyone has a different opinion about sex. 
from your friends to the shows you watch, the movies you go to, the stores you shop at, when you're checking out at Albertsons and you see these magazines that are lining the checkout counter and, and every magazine gives a different story about a celebrity and, and their sex life or what your sex life should look like. I mean, everyone has a different opinion about sex. You know, uh, if you ask any 10 people, chances are maybe they'll give you 10 different ideas because no one is totally clear about what sex actually is, what it was made for, and who it was made for. Well... It's in the midst of that confusion that I have a very big question, a question that people have wrestled with forever. How serious is sex? That's a question people have wrestled with forever. For centuries they've talked about this. How serious is sex? How does sex actually play into our lives as Christians? Now, if you're a note taker, this is going to be perfect for you because I really want you to hear this because this is, this is great. Because this is my story, just as well as it may be some of your stories, just as well as it may be some of your parents' stories. It's my story, and it's actually a story in the Bible as well. And I'm going I'm to explain. So when I was a very young Christian, 19 years old is when I became a Christian. I wasn't going to church. I was going to church in junior high. I was going to church in high school. But when I was 19, I, I knew and saw what it meant to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. I was serving and giving of my time and of my resource. I was, I was living the life of, of a disciple of Jesus. Now, two days into that walk with Jesus, and I was 19 years old, I had a lot of questions about sex. Now, I'm going to explain a couple reasons why. One, I never looked at sex to be serious. I thought sex was always casual. I never took it. I always misjudged it. So I made very poor mistakes in the area of sex when I was a young person. All right, I uh, regret a lot of those choices, not because I felt like I was a bad person. I regret those choices because I was so misinformed about what sex was. See, I was making decisions based on what I thought, not what God thought. I was making decisions about what I thought was best, not what God made clear was best. So as a two-day-old Christian, very new, very fresh, I had a lot of... I couldn't do much on my own. I needed people to explain it to me. You know, if you've ever seen a newborn baby, what does a newborn baby do when it's like two days old? Nothing. It lays there. It poops. It rolls over and poops again. Maybe, it, maybe if you're lucky, and this is, adults are so goofy, because eventually I'm going to have kids, and I'm, I know that I'm going to be this guy, even though I look at this guy now and I make fun of him, but I know it's going to be me. You just sit there and you just wait for that one moment the baby opens his eyes and then you totally freak out. You're Instagramming a million pictures of every angle of his face. And listen, I want you to know as a father that will be me, okay? I will totally do that, so don't hate on me when I do. But, but you do that because a two-day-old baby isn't doing much. They're not playing video games. They're not writing books or so. You're not having conversations. They're not going to all-nighters. Well, actually, they do do all-nighters. They keep you up all night, and then you're with them. All, so they love all-nighters, okay? That's the only thing that it makes sense to. So there's a thing, though, okay? Two-day-old baby is not too much. Two-day-old Christian needs just as much help. Now, we're looking at a church that's very young, like a two-day-old church in Corinth. Now, this is what's so great. In the midst of this new church that was happening... Church, in, it's talked about in First and Second Corinthians, in Corinth, they had some very big questions about sex. See, when the Apostle Paul, who was brought in, uh, he was brought in to talk to this, this group of people about sex. He was a follower of Christ. He was writing to people who lived in a world much like ours is now that said sex was very casual. See, in Corinth, Corinth was kind of like Las Vegas 
It was like Las Vegas, like plus like Singapore, plus like Thailand, and it's like 24 hours, no rules, do whatever you want with whoever you want, anytime you want. This was the world they grew up. It was actually so deep, it was ingrained in their belief system. So these people, there's a little history for you, so take notes, this is good stuff. So in their belief system, there were these churches. Uh, they weren't really churches, they were like temples, but they were kind of closely related to church. They were trying to model it after this idea of church. And there were these temples where people would meet, and, and they would give praise to these false pagan gods. But a part of that praise to these false pagan gods was to interact with temple prostitutes that were either enslaved there or employed there. So part of their belief system as young men would be to go to an old men and middle-aged men, even married men, would go to these temples and they would not only sacrifice to this false god that had nothing to do with the living god, the god of, of, of our, our Bible, uh, they would go and they would give sacrifices and then they would interact and be with, uh, have sex with these temple prostitutes as part of their faith system. Okay? Now listen, in the midst of that, they're hearing about Jesus. And I've talked about this before. Jesus is a life-changing God. He's in the business of life change. So when he is entering the picture, people are hearing about Jesus saying, you know, we have questions about sex. We get the idea of him rising from the dead. But here's our question. How does this interact with our, life, our sexual lives as people in Corinth? Because, you know, we know what we're used to. We know what is the norm. We know what our friends say is okay to do. We know about what we read or see in media in Corinth. We know at the lunch table, guys, or in the locker room, guys, how, how young men talk about sex. But I have a question for you, Paul. How does God talk about sex? Teach us. We're a very new church. We have questions. Now, in the midst of questions, God brings answers because God is a God of clarity not of confusion. So this is what he says, and I want you to read this with me. He's looking at everyone saying, it's in our next verse, in chapter 6, verse 15. It's on page 927 in your Bible. Now Paul is looking at everyone saying this. I know how it's been. I know what you're used to, but I have news for you. I have very different news. See, he got very serious with something that they took to be very casual. See, some did uh, something that their friends uh, did not make to be serious at all. They made it to be very casual. He's speaking in the midst of this. He's speaking openly. He's speaking loudly. He's speaking with absolute authority and clarity. And I want you guys to listen, and this is what he talks about. Start with verse 15. Do you, and we're going to unpack all of this. So if you have questions, just keep them in your mind, and I'm going to answer all of them, I promise you. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute, kind of giving, giving evidence to their, their current belief and practice system? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Now he's giving reference to Genesis chapter 2 here. When he talks about a man and a woman leaving and becoming one flesh, he's talking about the same idea. It, should we do this? Is it right to do this with a prostitute to become one flesh with her? Absolutely not. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. This is what verse 18 says. Flee from sexual morality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. 
But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Sex is not just one thing. It's not just what you see on TV or a flirtation at school. It is not a, a, it is not a notch on your belt. Uh, it's not something to be pressured into. Paul is saying that sex is serious. Now, we have this next verse here. It's the same group of verses, but it's in a different version. It's from the message. Okay, so I kind of gave you what was in the NIV, and this is a more uh, adapted version to kind of how the way we talk today. And I want to unpack that a little bit. And this is what it says. God honored the master's body by raising it from the grave. He'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Now, here's the deal. This is what he's saying. This is what he's saying to the people. You guys have heard about Jesus, right? Well, he raised him from the dead. That same power and love that he showed to his son, he's going to show to you as well. That's how important you are to God. That's how important you are to God. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body, saying you were created in his image. The way he looked is the way God looks. He created you with that idea in mind, that template in mind. You shouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I sure hope not. Because this is what he's saying. You were created in the image of God, and you have worth. You have worth. Now, you, you may not believe you have worth, or maybe you've been led to believe you don't, or maybe, you've, maybe some of your friends don't think they do because of choices they made or things that they're being pressured into. But God here is saying that you have worth the way his son has worth, would you take him to a whorehouse? Never. Because you're worthy of way more than that. This is what we see in verse 16. There's more to sex than skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, two become one, this is Genesis 2 we're referencing. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. So hear me on this. He's saying something really clear to all of us. He's saying that sex was made to inhabit a few things. Intimacy. Commitment. Sex is not meant to leave us lonely and feeling abandoned. You know, who's ever felt lonely? Don't feel like you have to raise your hand. But who's ever felt lonely before? I know I have. I felt lonely in a lot of different ways. You know where I felt most lonely? There was a girl that I dated in high school that I really, really liked a lot. I'm not going to say her name. I really liked her a lot, and we were dating for a little while. Now, we were dating, and we were getting more serious. We were going on a number of dates, and we started to do some things sexually. We started to, to push the boundaries of what we knew was, was right and okay, and we started to take sex not as serious but as casual. Now, she started wanting to do more and more things, and, and we got to the point where we did. Like Finally, I said yes to, to a few new things. But then, it, then she stopped calling me. Now, I'm a guy, right? Guys are not supposed to care about those things, but I cared. I felt really hurt. I felt really lonely. She stopped calling me, and when I finally got a hold of her, it turned out that the whole reason she wanted to be with me 
was to win a bet with one of her friends. That's all I was to her. I was just a bet. And I was 13, 14 at the time. And I thought I was cool. I thought I was getting attention from a pretty girl. But she didn't really care about that. It left me feeling really lonely. You know, maybe some of you guys have felt alone sometimes. Maybe you guys look at this thing, the sex thing, and it, maybe it's portrayed as not that serious. Maybe it's portrayed as not a big deal. It's a super casual thing. But yet, in the midst of that, you find yourself hurt and lonely and feeling abandoned. And you say to yourself, maybe you don't say it to anyone else, but gosh, I know you say it to yourself in your heart. And you say to yourself, man, this feels serious. These emotions, this hurt, this loneliness, this feels serious. This doesn't feel like a casual thing. This doesn't feel funny. This doesn't feel like a joke. This actually leaves me feeling abandoned and hurt. You know, this is what the next verse says. In verse, uh, probably around 18 right now. Uh, voice commitment. Kind of sex never become one. There's a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given, God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your bodies are a sacred place, a place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering where God paid so, such a high price for? The physical part of you is not a piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works, so let people see God in and through your body. This is what he's saying, guys. He's saying that when you sin, when you sin against people, that's against people. When you sin sexually, you're sinning against yourself. That you're made for more than this. That Jesus paid such a high price for you to feel value and to be valuable because you are valuable. That, that sex is an easy thing to fall into and take it casually when it's serious. You know, I just want to speak for a moment to the guys. You know, guys, listen. I know what it's like to be a guy. Hear me. I know that you, there's friends at school or on a sports team or somewhere. Somewhere you interact with someone who's looked at sex like a notch on a belt. That in order to be cool, you have to do this thing. You know, when I was a kid, they used to do the base system. Okay, So they would, they would say, like, hey, unless you get to third base with a girl, that you're just not cool. Now, aside from how devaluing that is to girls, to girls that God created, how devaluing is that to you? Gosh, I hope my worth as a man is not made up of the things that I did with girls. I really hope I'm more valuable than that. But yet you, you are left to feel like you're, being, you're left out, you're uncool, you're not popular. You know, if you don't have enough notches on your belt, then, uh, then all the other guys are more guys than you are. God's saying, listen, you want to be a guy? Don't sin against yourself. Don't sin against God. He paid a high price for you. You know, I look at the girls, and this is, this is for you, and this is, this is a sadness that I have. You know, I have a friend who's a youth pastor, and he was telling me a story about one of the girls in his ministry. Now, listen, I, I don't spend all my time with the girls because I'm a guy, and I don't spend all my time with the girls. But listen, I feel that girls aren't totally different from church to church. I think the things that we deal with and we see and we struggle with uh, and we're preyed upon are the same in a lot of different ways. So I, he was telling me this story about a girl in his youth ministry that was just spending time texting with her friend who's, who's a boy. And they were just flirting, and he was cute, and you know, she was cute, and all her friends thought it was great. 
And they started texting, and they would text late at night. You know, the parents would go to sleep, but they would, she would stay awake and, and text them. And it was just sharing stories and sharing fun flat facts, a couple emojis and a little flirtation. But that all changed the moment he asked her to send him a picture. Now, the picture was just, it just I want to see your smiling face. I just, I just want to hold, have it on my phone. I want to show my friends. But then it, he started asking for more. You know, maybe you have a friend who that's happened to them. And they're pressured into sending photographs of themselves that they wouldn't want anyone to see. But they're felt if they don't do that, that they're not, boys aren't going to like them. And they're not going to be accepted. Listen to me. And this is such a, so heavy on my heart because it's so true. Listen to me. You are worth so much more than that. You are worth so much more than that. Any guy that would say that to you does not care about you. They care only for themselves. God cares for you and says, I paid such a high price for you. Sex is serious. It is not casual. But so many times girls are pressured into thinking, if I do this, then guys will like me and I'll be accepted. They don't care about those things. They're lying to you. Don't take a serious thing and make it casual. You know, everyone has a different story with sex. Everyone has heard about this in some way. And you might think, Justin, you're not sending us out with a big rah-rah excitement like you usually do because this is the thing. It's just not one of those series. It's not one of those lessons today. You know, I, I want us to see that sex is serious. You know, I want us to have a moment. I'm going to call Jason up. And I want us to have a moment where we can just reflect for a second. And I'm going a tiny bit over time, and I'm, I apologize for that, but just hear me. If you have had any interaction with this, and I'm, keep in mind, I'm looking at you, and I can see in your eyes, I know some of you had. Guys, I know some of you had. I know some of you guys are going to school, Christian school, public school, it doesn't matter, thinking unless I do this, something, unless I have something to brag about, that the guys aren't going to think I'm cool. Girls, I can see in your eyes, I know... Some of you know someone that's like, this is happening to me or to someone I know. This is happening right now. That they're taking something that's serious and making it casual. I want to give you a second just to, just to go to God about this. Just to pray to yourself. To, think about, to talk to a leader if you need to. There are leaders all around here that love to talk to you. But I also want to open up the prayer wall. Now listen, the prayer wall isn't just, just, isn't just for sex today. The prayer wall is for anything. You know, you can go to the prayer wall for stuff with your parents, for stuff with your family, with your friends, stuff that's happening in school. Maybe the prayer wall for you today is confessing something that you just don't want to be a part of your life anymore, something that you want to say no to that people have been pressuring you to say yes to. Maybe you want to pray to God and ask him for strength in something, and you want to leave it at the prayer wall as a symbol that I'm taking a step for this today. And I'm not going to walk out of this room thinking that sex is a, is a, a casual thing that doesn't impact my life. I'm going to know that, that God talked about sex in a serious way. That I've seen, I've seen the destruction that it leaves. And I'm not, willing to, I'm not willing to put myself to that today or any day. So I want to open the prayer wall. It's for anything. It's just for you with God. If you need a moment between you and God and you want to write something down to give it to him, do it. For sure, do it. I'm going to give you guys two minutes. I'm going to go apologize to all your parents who I'm keeping you in here a little longer. I'm going to give you two minutes to do this, okay? And then I'm going to come back up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you. Just take two minutes. Use the prayer walls. They're right there, guys.